All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks for your flexibility, Baruch Hashem, for the brises that have shifted things around. So we'll continue our uh, learning of Amuna, and as always, it's dedicated Le'iloi Nishmas, Shendel Gitl Bas, Chaim, Sha'ol, whose Nishama should have an Aliyah. We're going to continue with the Nesiva Shalom, with Salam Rebbe on Amuna, in uh, his Yesode HaTorah. We're on page Memches, number three, page three in our booklet, at Os Yud, the letter Yud. Biyosa Amuna Habriach HaTichon HaMachzik Kol Kedosh V'yakar Shabi Amuna Living a life where you see Hashem in your life, you feel His presence in your life, you lean on Him, you depend on Him, is the foundational stone, the foundational brick that supports and holds up everything else in the life of a Jew. It's the foundation for all that you do in Avodah Hashem. In fact, uh, is it Rabbi Yonah who writes that the core of all mitzvos is emuna. In other words, every mitzvah is an exercise, every mitzvah is a renewed moment or opportunity to remember there's a Hashem. So whether it's shofar or lulav or lighting candles or tzedakah or chesed or bikacholim, but every mitzvah ties back at its essence, at its core, to remembering that there's a God, He created the world, He gave us a blueprint for how that world should function, He has a sense of right and wrong, and, and so on. Alken is gabras ha-yitzaharav anas yonas ben-yana hem atzumim ve-kashim. Overcoming the yitzahara and Surpassing the challenges and tests that come our way, specifically regarding emuna, are profoundly difficult and challenging. The holier something is, the, more, the harder it is to do. Right? If it's something mundane, if it's something insignificant, nothing rises to challenge it. It's easy. But we have a principle that the holier something mm-hmm. is, the more significant something yeah. is, the more that the Yetzirah rises and grows to oppose it. There's always a level playing field. First of all, if the Yetzirah didn't, then there wouldn't be free will. Free will, again, is always the exercise of making the right choice when there are opportunities and options and alternatives that present themselves that are not necessarily equal, but are near equal, right? If everyone who did the right thing, good things happen for, and everyone who did the wrong thing, bad things happen for, you wouldn't really have free will to do the right thing or the wrong thing. It would just be obvious and easy and natural. What makes life meaningful, what makes life... I'll get it. What are you looking? No, here. I'll leave it unlocked. It is. See, it's just oh, the door. Um, thank you. What makes life meaningful, what makes life significant, is that we have opportunities and alternatives that, if not equal, are close to equal that, that present themselves. So because Amun is so foundational, because Amun is so significant, because Amun is so important, that's why the Sahara to not live life with Amun Right? The nisyonas, the tests, which make us conclude, you know what, there is no God, He doesn't really care, it doesn't really matter. That Yetzahara and those nisyonas are so, are so great. And the Slanam Rabbi says, particularly in our time and in our day, when we are in the days of Mashiach, not that Mashiach is here yet, we wish he was. If he were, it would look like a very different world. But in the days that precede Mashiach, in the countdown to Mashiach, in the days that we can anticipate Mashiach, So in these days, the core challenge, the key challenge is specifically with an Amunah. It's in the merit of Amunah that we were redeemed. And it's in the merit of Emunah that we will be redeemed again. So, this is an important idea to, to remember, is that the fact that it's so challenging to live with Emunah, 
It's so distracting. It's so easy to get caught up in the momentum of life and forget this Hashem, forget that He has expectations of us, forget to lean on Him and rely on Him and thank Him and feel His presence in our lives. The fact that it's so challenging and difficult because of the distractions and because of some of the hardships we go through that lead us to the opposite conclusion, that's not a reason to give up, not a reason to abandon the course, it's not a reason to think that, you know what, this is just too hard, forget it. It's a reason to realize how important it is. In other words, the more challenging something is and the harder it is to overcome, is the greater the reminder of how important and sacred and holy it is, and that's why it's so challenging. The things that come easy don't mean that much. It's the things that come hard, where the Yetzirah and the Nisyonas, where the challenge and the test, come sit, or there's a seat here. The challenge and the test, that's when they, that's when they mean the most, right? For, for example, for those who are going to exercise right after this, I won't say who, but right, that's the principle of no pain, no gain. Right? If, if you feel no pain, there's no gain. If you feel pain, that's when there's gain. So when the Yitzhahar and the Nisaran arrive and you have to overcome them, that's when there's gain. And if it comes easily, it's simple. No. So our generation, Ikvas and the Mashiach, the Salam Rebbe, who died several years ago, didn't even mean this, didn't even know that he meant this, but I think one of the challenges to Amuna in our time is the technological advance is the technological growth and progress. We think we're controlling the world. We think we manipulate the world. We can fly into space and we can control everything around us. I picked up your husband last night. He's sitting on his phone in the car. Oh, let me put the alarm on on my phone. Oh, let me, uh, my smart house, let me control every detail. Oh, my whatever, let me... We, we live in this technologically advanced world and we think we're in control and it gives us a greater and greater and greater sense of control. And the more that we live in the information or what I like to call the misinformation age, where we have access to Google anything and have terabytes of information at our fingertips. We think we know everything, we think we control everything, and as a result, it becomes harder and harder and harder to feel a connection to Hashem. So that means that when you live with Amuna in that environment and culture where it's harder and harder, it's all the more meaningful, it's all the more valuable, it's all the more special, it's all the more holy, it's all the more lasting. And the Rebbe, he references the Chazal, particularly in our month. We're now on the um, third day of Nisan, deep into Chodesh Nisan. So the Gemara says that Nisan nigalu v'Nisan asidin lehigal. We were redeemed once in Nisan, and we will be redeemed again in Nisan. And this is classically meant, understood to mean that in Nisan we merited the miracle of the Exodus. We were redeemed from the slavery, the servitude of Egypt. And in Nisan, we will be redeemed from our hardships. The end of Hamas and Hezbollah and terrorism and ISIS and, and BDS and uh, the UN and all of the evil in the world, that all of that will end in the month of Nisan. But Rav Shechter, there's a new Sefer that came Rav Shechter in the Parsha, and Rav Shechter explains, no, if you let, I wrote this on the WhatsApp group this week, the Ramban in his introduction to Shmos says that Sefer Shmos is not about, is, Sefer Shmos, the theme of Shmos is, the transition from Gullus to Geula, from exile to redemption. Exile, the beginning of Shmos, we all understand. You read the beginning of Exodus, and it's all about Jewish baby boys are being murdered, and children turned into bricks, and hard labor, and so on. That I get. Where's the Geula in Sefer Shmos? If you think of redemption as being in Israel with a built base of Mikdash, we're not in Israel. The end of Sefer, we're bringing this, this week, we're beginning Vayikra. We're not beginning Vayikra in Israel, in Eretz Kena'an. We're beginning it still in the desert. So where's the Geula? So the Ramban explains, Geula and Galus are not a geographic description. 
Of course, that's a component to it. We believe redemption is when Jews come back to Israel where we all belong and should be struggling to go. Of course, we believe there's a geographical component to it, but it's not a geographic description. You can have exile in Israel, and you can have a level of redemption outside of Israel. For the Ramban, what are exile and redemption? They're whether Hashem is in your life or not. So when you are living absent Hashem in your life, when you feel distance from Him, life is a function of random and chance and coincidence, and you can't feel His presence. You don't believe everything happens for a reason. You feel all alone and isolated and abandoned. When you don't feel Hashem in your life, that's exile. It's very dark. And when you feel Hashras Hashchina, when you feel the divine presence, and the more intense you feel it, the greater that sense of redemption, personally, individually, or collectively, nationally. So where is the redemption at the end of Sefer Shemos? What has been built, and where has God chosen to dwell? In the Mishkan, the tabernacle has been built and now exists. There's a Hashras Hashchina. God has come down to earth. So exile and redemption are not a geographic description alone. There is much about Hashras Hashchina which means the presence of the Almighty, feeling Hashem in your life, having a place to go, literally or figuratively a place to go, emotionally, spiritually, a place to go where you say, you know, I don't have doubt, I don't have uncertainty, I don't have wonder. I know with confidence that there's God, that He created me, that all that's unfolding, it's His will, and there's a reason, and somehow everything is for the good, and I'm so thankful to Him for everything in my life, and I pray to Him, and I depend on Him, and I rely on Him, for everything that will be in my life. That's Hashra's Hashkina. So Rav Shechter says, if you apply the Ramban's insight to Sefer Shmos to this statement of Chazal, that that we redeemed in Nisan and will be redeemed again in Nisan, it's not talking about leaving Egypt. And it's not talking about Hamas and Hezbollah, although we pray for that too. It's talking about when was the Hakamas Mishkan, when was the Mishkan erected, when was it inaugurated in Nisan. And when is the th- third base of Mikdash going to begin to function? Chazal tell us the korbanos of the third base of Mikdash will begin when? Nisan. Nisan. So Nisan, we were redeemed, and Nisan will be redeemed. It's not about servitude and oppression. It's about the redemption of feeling Hashem in our lives. This is a month of redemption. And a month of redemption doesn't mean... You know, again, finally I'll be able to quit my job and win the lottery. Redemption doesn't mean finally I'll be able to... That's not redemption. Redemption is finally I'm going to feel Hashem in my life. This is the month to do it. Chodesh Nisan with Pesach is a holiday in which we cultivate ourselves and condition ourselves and work on ourselves that everything that happens, I see Hashem in my life. Oh wow, that was... Look at what just happened. Look at that coincidence. No, that wasn't a coincidence. That was Hashem. Thank you. Oh, I have something upcoming that's really important or special or scary. I'm going to dabble with all my heart to Hashem. I need you. I rely on you. I'm turning to you. This is the month to do it. By the way, the evidence that you can have exile even in Israel is the holiday of Hanukkah. The holiday of Hanukkah, we were living under what was called Golas Yavan. Golas Yavan is the exile of the, of, uh, of the Syrian Greeks. And where did it take place? It is we were living in Israel, right? What was different though? We were exiled from the Beis HaMikdash. So exile is not about whether you're in Israel or not. Exile is about whether God's presence fills the Beis HaMikdash, whether it fills the world, whether it's accessible to us, whether we can easily tap into it. Moshe Midner, I never heard of. 
Bemechtav Hamuva Besov Sefer Torahs Avos. Shama Rebbe Akadosh Mitronustra. Tzchusiyagin Aleinu. Shehit Tash Tashronustra. I've never been there. I don't think we're going there on our Poland trip. Shehitzitz Bedoros Achronim Vura. Shegam Yirei Hashem Amidat Gimei Mitzvos Lo Yenikim Me Pigamei Amuna. That this great Rebbe apparently said that in the, in the latest generations he saw God-fearing people who are vigilant and strict with mitzvahs do everything right but still struggling with emunah. Because emunah is the hard part. That's the internal part. The mitzvahs, those are the external part. You know, check the labels on everything you eat. Clean like an obsessive compulsive person for Pesach. <laughs> you know, wash the lettuce. Put on the tefillin, light the candles, do the bikr cholam, give the meiser tzitzaka. All the external actions, I don't mean to minimize it, but that's the easy part. Go through the motions, check, 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 check. In your mind is the checklist. I'm doing everything right. Check, check, check. Good, good, good. I'm ready to go. But the internal living with emuna, processing everything in your life through the filter and prism of emuna, that's much harder. And so he notes this great tzaddik who said that in the, in the Doros HaChronim, in the most recent generations, we will be so careful in observing the externals, but struggling to translate it internally. Another tradition that the Salam Rebbe is quoting that he has from the great tzaddikim is that a lack of emuna or living with kfira is contagious. It's a contagious disease. Meaning, you have to be careful who we hang out with. We have to be careful who we talk to. We love all Jews. This is a community that believes in Avas Yisrael and diversity and unity and so on and so forth. We believe that. We work on that. We care about that. I'm not saying that we marginalize or judge or isolate ourselves. But in terms of who we open ourselves up to for the most meaningful and deep conversations, cynicism and sarcasm are contagious. When you hang around with people who try to poke a hole in everything meaningful, oh, that cheer was, ah, that person's a fake, ah, that doesn't really mean, ah, you really believe that? Ah, that's not, oh, I read an art. If you hang out with cynical people who their whole life is to undermine and to poke a hole in and to disprove everything which is holy, it's contagious. It's very hard to maintain that belief when, when you're with people who are cynical and sarcastic and who profane everything which is holy, who try to undermine and try to disprove everything that we believe. It's contagious. On the other hand, you hang out with people, the Baruch Hashem, Mirza Hashem, Chaste Hashem, everything's going to be good, Hashem is the best, listen to what Hashem did for me. So that's also contagious. That's also contagious. All right, everything that's meant to be, this is the way it's supposed to. I'm so happy, Hashem, I love Hashem, what a great day, Hashem loves me. It, then it's all, it's all contagious. Right, we, we saw a number of times he referenced, I have a Muna, when do you have a Muna? When you're speaking with a Muna, when you talk that way, when you act that way, when you employ that language. So when you're around people who, who speak the language of a Muna, then you have a culture and an environment of a Muna. When you're around people who speak the environment of Kfira, 
There's no God. What are you talking about? The rabbis are so ridiculous. I read another story about another Orthodox Jew, and he's corrupt, and he's 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 uh, what a chilashem, and he invented stole money and uh, child pornography, and uh, so you see the whole religion is fake, and it doesn't really mean anything, and you can keep Torah. When you hang out with that, it seeps in and it penetrates, and it makes you say, huh. You know what? Maybe it's true. Maybe I'm also turned off. Maybe it's in to be turned off. So it's contagious. We're in a period of darkness. It's hard to see Hashem. Technological advancement makes us believe even more that we're in control. Cynicism and sarcasm are at their height. We're living, as the Gemara says, in the generation preceding Mashiach. There'll be a, a proliferation of chutzpah in the world. So what do we do in a period of night when there's dark? Emunas chabalelos. You need emuna at night. Bechashchus hatkufa uvechashchus shekoyachet over in binyanei haguf in binyanei hanefesh shekol kama shekoshim umarim yisurei haguf har beyos dera umar leyehudi beeshe chashchus ruchnis ofefes as komahuso. What's true for the darkness of the physical world is all the more true for the darkness of the spirit. When a person is living in a dark place physically. You get a bad diagnosis. You're in chronic pain. You're suffering with illness. You lack finances to provide the basic needs for yourself. When you're suffering, the darkness of the physical is a suffering. But when you're suffering in the darkness of the spirit, which is exactly the language that people with depression use. People with depression use a language of being in a very dark, dark place. The world is dark. They feel they're in a dark place. So being, and I'm not talking about somebody who's, who's, who has a diagnosis of depression is a very serious... All the amun in the world is not going to necessarily lift a, a diagnosed depression. A real depression is, is, needs medication and therapy and so on and so forth. But I'm talking about you know, our spoiled generation who everything is perfect, but you know, the Wi-Fi is slow, so we say I'm so depressed. You know, whatever. I'm talking about our generation that you know, we're using the word depression inappropriately. So whatever the darkness of the body, when you're feeling the darkness of the soul, you feel distant and isolated and apart, you feel lost, you feel depressed, it's even more painful. And what is the advice? How do you overcome? How do you break free of that darkness? Just return. Return to the anchor of Amuna. That's a reminder. You know what? I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling in a dark place. It's when I've got to go back to my Amuna place. It's when I've got to go back to remember the basics. There's Hashem, and He loves me, and He's in control, and I do my best. But after I do my best, there's nothing more I can do. I submit. I'm in His hands. You know, that's the place to go. Atzasa emuna. The greatest advice in the darkest place is to strengthen emuna. Just like emuna is the merit through which we left Egypt, and Amuna is the merit in which we'll leave Egypt again. So just like our national collective existence is only because of Amuna, it's because when we were in the dark place, that's when we tapped into the Amuna and we are here. So too for the individual. So too the individual. The prophet Chabakuk said, the tzaddik that the tzaddik lives with his emunah. How is a tzaddik alive? You're only alive. Without emunah, you couldn't live. The stress, the anxiety, the worry, 
the challenges of the world, you'd crumble, you'd be paralyzed. How does the tzaddik live? From where does the tzaddik draw strength? Tzaddik be'emunaso yichya. The Shabbos HaGadol Drasha this year is, uh, is on this topic, actually. Shabbos HaGadol Drasha, the title is Next Year in Jerusalem, the Seder as an Exercise in Hope, Emuna, and Renewal, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Yerushalayim. But we're going to talk about how the Seder and the Haggadah itself is partially about the past redemption, but also that the, the organizers of the Haggadah and the Seder designed it in a way to give the Jew in exile strength to remember we were once in a bad place when we got out, and we're going to, if you feel you're in a bad place again, maybe you're reciting the Seder in Auschwitz, maybe you're, you're having this Haggadah, the Seder, in wherever, whatever oppression. I told Hamid to come check it out, make sure everything's good. You're having this, uh, you're having this uh, Seder in whichever dark exile place you may be, but uh, just like you know, the Seder is a reminder that you're sitting there feeling free and royal and regal. You got out of it once, you're going to get out of it again. And look at how from the Holocaust to such a short time later, 67, a unified Yerushalayim, the Kotel Harabayis Biadenu. If we didn't live with this Amuna, that in the darker the place, the greater the Amuna, where would we be? Where would we be? I just got back from APAC. There were many highlights of APAC, which I'm not going to tell you now, but I'll tell you one that you have to go online and watch. And, and I've said this now like a thousand times and I can't seem to say it without getting choked up. But this is going to be the time. So there, there's somebody who's, who's taken on a project of recovering the violins from the concentration camps that the Jews were forced by the Nazis to play violins as they led their brothers and sisters to the gas chambers, to their death. So somebody has taken those violins and restored them. So at APAC, they had a video of the person and the violins and how they get them and how they restore them, a very moving video. And there's music playing, violin music, and all of a sudden the video ends and the spotlight's on the stage. <laughs> and the guy, this virtuoso, is playing Hatikva ah. on a violin mm. that was used in Auschwitz outside the gas chamber to lead Jews to their death. That's Tzadik Be'amunah if you told a Jew being led to their death, and I'm not telling you with some miraculous story of survival that, you know, the, the, the cyclone didn't work and they got out. I'm telling you they died. They died. But still, you told them on their way to their death, many of whom were saying Shema. If you said, you hear that violin? The violin as you're scratching the walls of the, of the gas chamber, as you're, as you're holding your child high, gasping for air. You hear those violin sounds? Do you know that in just a few decades from now, they're going to play the sounds of Hatikva? as your great-grandchildren are going to be serving in the IDF and returning to the land of Israel, they, they wouldn't believe it. It's impossible. It's impossible to believe. That's Salik Be'em Munaso It's like my story. Yeah. 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 You could uh, tell the story. Tell, tell where Rachel is on the story. Um, Rachel is, my oldest daughter is actually in Poland right now with her school. And yesterday was my Zayde's yard site, the ninth yard site. And he is a survivor of Auschwitz. They were in Auschwitz yesterday. She was able to light a yardside candle for him. And they had asked her to give a speech at Auschwitz, knowing that she had relatives who went through it, but they didn't know that it was his yardside that day. So it was very powerful. Wow. No coincidences. Total so it's really, I mean, she's standing in Auschwitz on my Zaidi's yard site telling a story about him in that place. It's, just, it's, it's crazy. So she told a story about my grandfather who, um, on, on Tisha B'Av, he was 
they found an empty barrack. They were, I don't know, they were working, I think, and they found like an empty area to sit and just say keynotes by heart or whatever, you know, trying to commemorate Tishabab. And they were discovered and they were beaten terribly. And my grandfather was beaten so badly, he lost his eyesight in one eye. He was, I mean, it was awful. Comes back to the, you know, his barrack that night and he uh, is just beside himself. He's like, I can't live. He, he just wanted to end his life. He was not, he, he just couldn't handle it anymore. He was so broken, so broken. And there's, there was a rabbi who was in a barrack with him. His name was He was a chastidish rav who knew my grandfather, knew him from his hometown. And uh, he sat with him all night and he gave him such comfort and he said to him, I know you're suffering and I know it seems like you're never going to get out of this, but I'm telling you that you will have children, Give him a grandchildren, you great grandchildren. You keep going because those Nazis will be in the past, but you will have generations who come from you. And my grandfather now has generations of, of all from and all, you know, it's, it's really amazing. And my, and, and my, and my Khalid said, you know, my grandfather was victorious at the end, you know, that he yeah. really did win because he well, kept The amazing going part was, you know, when we heard the story is he, he died in 99, but in his 90s, we asked him, Zaidi, why, why do you think you had this chus to live into your, into your 90s? Well, you know, what was your merit to live into the 90s? And that's when he told us that story. So the chus to Rav, Rav gave him a bracha. If you make it through tonight, if you persevere, I give you a bracha for Arichas Yamim. You're going to live a long life if you can make it through tonight. And, then, and you will live that the Nazis will be a distant memory and your children and grandchildren will, will, will be Yirei Hashem. There's this great granddaughter telling the story. she knew him. Sure. So she was telling that story in, in Auschwitz where that story happened on his yurt site. At that time, he was in his 20s. He was in his... Maybe... Uh, probably his high 20s. He had been married. He, he lost a wife and child. child. Oh, really? yeah. Both my grandparents were married with a child each, and then they lost their spouse and child. They were first cousins. They got married after the war to each other. They were each married to someone else and had a child? Yeah. They, they were first cousins to each other. They were first cousins to each wow. other. They got married after the war. They met a they were, they, they were. They were like hardcore Hasid, and they grew up Hasidish, okay. and they liked each other as kids, but it was pasnish for cousins to marry. Uh-huh. So their parents wouldn't allow it. So they each got married, they each had a child, and they each lost their spouse and child in Auschwitz. And after the war, whoever survived went back to this hometown. Because they were looking looking for a family, whoever was there. And when they got back, they found each other, and their parents had been killed. No one was around to tell them they couldn't. So they got married. (laughs) So at that point, they got married. And they had one child. They had one one child, her father. So, yeah, it's an amazing story. Yeah, very light, a very light Amuna class. Okay, let's finish this up. Yud Aleph, we're on page four. Haisha Yudisha Zachasha Amunasa Zacha Ubehira. A Jew who merits for their Amuna to be clear and to be, uh, to shine bright. Ain Dargasa Rak Binyan Amuna, Elakoma Huso Yimahus Miuchedes. If you can merit to live this way where you, you integrate and absorb everything into your life through the prism of Amuna, everything's for a reason, everything's amazing, everything's going to work out, and everything is, is, is right. So it doesn't just your Amuna check, the Amuna box, you're like, good. But then that Amuna animates everything else you do. Every other mitzvah becomes special. All of your midos become special. Everything becomes special. Kokiya mitzvah of hilach ma'ashavasa v'diburo, 
All of your observance of mitzvahs, all of your thoughts, all of your speech, all of your attitudes towards everything going on in life, everything is different. Everything is changed. If you can live with this emuna, you'll see your worry and your angst go away. You'll see your jealousy and envy go away. You'll see your anger go away. Everything in life improves. Why are you jealous and envy? envious? Because you think you deserve something and you want it and it's not right. But if you live with Amuna and you realize that you have what you need and you have what you deserve, and if you want more, work harder, but ultimately Hashem gives you what you need, you won't feel jealous and Amuna. Why do you get angry? Because you feel, that's not how I anticipated it. It's not my expectation. It's not what I wanted. But when you realize that you're not in control, there's Hashem, then you won't get angry. All Your health improves. Your psychological well-being improves. Your relationship improves. The more you work on Amuna. It, it trickles down. It improves everything it in your life. Positive person also. Much more positive. It makes you a happier person. Oh, yesterday's uh, New York Times, I hate to mention that name, but yesterday's New York Times <laughs> had an article. <laughs> yesterday's New York Times had an article um, that was called, you could look it up because it's very interesting, apropos what Yocheva just said. A positive outlook may be good for your health. It's a whole story about how. Yeah, the, the people who live more positive outlook, literally, blood pressure, diabetes, cardiac, everything is better because you just, you realize, you could let go, let go and let God. Best health advice. Yeah. You're not going to be afraid of anybody, you're not going to have to have to praise anybody falsely. Nobody can do anything to you that Hashem didn't, Determine is for you. You're not afraid of anything. Even if I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. No bad can come from heaven. And everything is from our Father. Who does good and only wants good. Bad can't come down from heaven. A father never does bad to a child. They do. Those are very evil, wicked people. But a good father, a decent human being, is incapable of doing bad to their child. They'll, they'll do to the child what the child perceives as bitter. Take away the phone, put them in time out. You, uh, you know... Um, what? Whatever, yeah. Lock the door. Lock the door. My, my little four-year-old is having trouble going to sleep at night. He just won't go to sleep. He comes out of the bed, and the more, the more upset and frustrated you get, the more he giggles and laughs. So yesterday, I had to hold the door closed and lock the door, and I said, that's it, that's it. You're not getting out of this room. That's what happens when Yechevet's not home and I'm in charge of bedtime. A lock is installed, a lock is installed on the door. Anyway, so he started crying hysterically. He said, but how am I going to go to school tomorrow? So I, uh, you know, I said, don't worry, I'm going to unlock it as soon as you fall asleep. So then we made peace and I unlocked the door and I went inside and he agreed to stay in his bed and I was gently putting him to sleep. And he looked up at me, like still trying to catch his breath, you know, that sad little boy cry, little child cry. And he goes, but Abba, why would you want to make me cry? <laughs> it was a great, it was actually very, it was a very profound comment for a four-year-old. Why would you want to make me cry? So... That's what the Salam Rebbe is saying, is that sometimes we look up at Hashem and we say, 
I, okay, look, I'm sure everything you're doing is for my best, but why would you want to make me cry? Why would you want me to be in pain? Why? I, I'm sure it, it can't be bad because you're my father. You'd never do anything to hurt me. So it must somehow be good for me, but it hurts. It hurts. So why, Hashem, why would you make me cry? Why would you want me to cry, Abba? The amazing thing about children is, if you did that to me, I wouldn't talk to you for three weeks. But, but with a child, sometimes the more you discipline them, the more that they want to feel that you love them, they love you, the more they want to cuddle, the more they crave your love. It's an amazing, amazing child. It's really very actually insightful into how much children want boundaries and want discipline. Because they love you more when there's discipline. They know you love them. It's very, it's very counterintuitive. It's very paradoxical. Adults, it's the opposite. We're done. You lock me in a room, forget it. It's over. Yeah. When you know in your heart that Hashem is with you, through that, you're not missing anything in your life. In the palace, nothing is missing. According to your level of amuna is your level in life. In other words, the measure of a person is their amuna. That's the measure of a person. Fortunate, blessed is the person who is able to strengthen their amuna at all times and live with Hashem in their life. So amuna is not just another thing that we have to get done. Amuna is not just another mitzvah on the list. But amuna is the core, it's at the essence of all that we do. And ultimately, it's even the measure of a person. If you live with Amuna, it has an impact on our midos, our health, our relationships. It's, it's the whole status and the level that we're on. And to not live with Amuna, to lack Amuna, really undermines and means that something significant is missing in all of our lives. Have a fantastic day.